Well, today we're going to be thinking a bit about Mary's story from Luke's gospel. Uh, A bit later, uh, we'll be hearing Mary's song, and Tim will be preaching uh, on that uh, to those of us who are staying in the auditorium. But some of our Discovery Club groups this morning are going to be thinking about the angel's message to Mary and what that tells us about who this baby is. And we're going to listen into that message now. It's going to be read to us from Luke chapter 1. The words will appear on screen starting at verse 26. And Ali is going to come and lead us in that with a bit of help. Great. The reading is from uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, And starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said... Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now Luke's gospel goes on to tell us that after hearing that amazing news from the angel... Mary went on to visit her older cousin Elizabeth, who was also expecting a baby. And the Holy Spirit helps Elizabeth to understand something of how Mary's baby is just such good news. And then Mary sings a song, which Luke records for us in his gospel account. And we're going to hear that song read to us now. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, 
but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. I have the joy of bringing greetings from churches in Europe. And when I'm away, and I've been away for a couple of months now, I've missed you. (laughs) I've missed Leslie. Uh, Not in that order. (laughs) But I always bring greetings from the Eden family to the churches where I'm blessed to be. And uh, they always are so moved that you would want to greet them and that some of us are praying for our time together. And and then they ask questions about Eden, and I love to answer the questions. We have a new pastor coming in the new year. We have people being drawn to Christ. There are baptisms. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, praise God for you know what he's done, that the elders and the staff, the way they've held things together during this interregnum. God has been so, so good. We could actually sing that, couldn't we? So, so good. Um, We're now uh, in in the countdown to uh, Christmas morning. And uh, you'll find in Luke that there are four songs. They are our first Christmas carols. Uh, And we're going to be, Graham and I are going to be trading off for the next four weeks. And we're going to be looking at each of these four carols. This morning the first. And we already know that it's the song that Mary wrote. And then comes Zacharias, and then comes the angels, and then finally Simeon. So do take your Bibles, and let's turn to Luke chapter 1. I have an apology to make. As Hannah was reading the passage, I I recognized that she was reading from a different version from the one that I have on my tablet this morning. (laughs) So so if you see some words that are a little different, uh, don't be... Too bothered to know that uh, the Greek is really what we're most interested in, and uh, these are just translations. So, Father, we pray with all our hearts that you would speak your word to us this morning. We don't really want to hear, Father, human words. We want to hear your word. We know, Father, that Your word together with your Holy Spirit can work dramatically in our hearts, can can do reversals in in the center of our being, can transform us. As your word did to Mary, we pray that you would do that to us this morning, for Jesus' sake and for our good. Amen. From her earliest childhood, Mary probably recited daily the Kadesh prayer, May you, O Lord, establish your kingdom in my lifetime and in my days. Now, at times that prayer must have seemed a rather pointless prayer to Mary because for centuries her country had been overrun by foreign powers each leaving a blood-strewn trail. She had heard the stories of the Greeks who butchered her people, nailing them to crosses, 
their children being made to hang from the necks of their crucified parents, Josephus tells us. And later she heard of the Romans who scoured the country in search of Jewish insurrectionists, many of whom in number about 2,000 they crucified. Again, the historian Josephus. Her daily prayer had gone unanswered. But then a visitor called at her home in Nazareth. He identified himself as Gabriel, the angel of the Lord. Greetings, O favored one, was his message to Mary. The Lord is with you. Even though a virgin, you will become great with child. You'll bear a son. And this son will be no ordinary son. He will ascend to the throne of David and he will reign forever. He will be called son of the Most High. Can you imagine the thoughts that must have been coursing through Mary's mind? Well, actually, we don't have to imagine. Because ruminating on this strange visitation, out came a song. One of the most celebrated compositions in history. The first Christmas carol, written in tribute to the child she will bear, whose name is Jesus. It's a song with two stanzas. First stanza is personal, (laughs) what this baby means to Mary. And the second stanza is general, what this baby means to the world. Listen first as Mary sings her heart. My soul magnifies the Lord. We're in verse 46, Luke 1, 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of me, his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I believe the heartbeat of this song is located in verse 49. Look again at verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me. The the word in Greek for great things, I love it, is the word megala. (laughs) He has done mega things for me. Huge things, vast things. Enormous things. She gives examples of those things. In verse 48, he has looked on me. He's come to me. Verse 49, he has blessed me. Verse 46, he has has saved me. I mean, one moment I was sitting in Nazareth, a young woman engaged to a good man named Joseph. And while I should probably have been rejoicing in expectation. I, I'm only actually just emerging from adolescence, and I'm not even sure what marriage means. It's all a bit daunting to me. and A world all around me, it's, 
It's, it's fraught with difficulty and pain and daily abuse from the occupying Romans and, and whisperings again of a, a new insurrection. And, and, and we, we know what happened the last time there was an uprising. There was crucifixions. There was hatred. There was, there was anger. That th- This world just seems all wrong. <laughs> if these were Mary's thoughts... We, we can certainly relate, can't we? You know, after the outbreak of yet another Middle Eastern war, the, the commissioner of the United Nations uh, recently lamented. He said, the world is losing its humanity. Really? After 250 years of progressive humanism, with all the illumination which sprung from the age of reason, with the lightning-like advances of science and technology, with the celebrated contemporary creeds of human rights and toleration and inclusion and and, and diversity. Is is it really possible that in the 21st century we're losing our humanity? Well, for for the brokers of our modern self-understanding, there seems to be little doubt We look at the world and the tears roll down. Sings the alternative rock band, Collective Soul. Life is full of empty promises and broken dreams. Raps Eminem. (laughs) One moment, Mary is sitting alone in Nazareth, ruling the past enduring the present, fearing the future, and the next, she's rejoicing and composing what may be history's greatest song. Why? How do you explain this? Because God has visited her. Because the Holy Spirit has come upon her. Because the power of the Most High has overshadowed her. Because although a virgin, she will give birth to a child, the Son of God, her Savior. Because God has done great things, mega things for her. Mary counts her personal blessings, and she extols her benefactor. The first line of the song says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Using the Greek verb, mega lune. He is a God of mega liberality, and I am the recipient. Verse 48, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. What a God. The humble estate. Humility is what happens when you're visited by God. When a thrice holy God drew near to the prophet Isaiah, the latter cried out in humility, Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When when Jesus the Lord filled the nets of the fisherman Peter with the catch of a lifetime, the latter exclaimed in humility, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. 
And when the Lord God, with a face shining like the sun in full strength, approached the apostle John, John fell at his feet as though dead. Mary, visited by God, also confesses her humble estate. Not because she is poor, a peasant, a teenage girl. Facts we can't actually confirm from history. Although even if we could confirm them, they are not what prompts Mary's humility. It's not the gap between Mary's imagined lowly social status and that of the wealthy elite of her day that produces Mary's humility. No, it's the gap between her as a finite human being and an infinite God, the Lord of heaven and earth, who is now looking favorably on me, on her. That's what produces Mary's humility. According to the Puritan John Owen, There are two things that are suited to humble the souls of humans. One, a due consideration of God. And two, a due consideration of themselves. Of God in His greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty, and authority, and themselves in their mean, abject, and sinful condition. Awestruck that the Almighty God should come to her and singularly bless her. Mary draws the humble conclusion. Look at verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. In a nutshell, mercy is what Mary has received from the Lord. In mercy, He does not give her what she deserves. Just the opposite. He gives her what she doesn't deserve. Who is worthy of the mega blessings of God? Not Isaiah, not Peter, not John, not Mary. Not any of us. To become the mother of our Lord. To be blessed by all generations. God's mercy. It just overwhelms Mary. In her eyes, He is mega, mega. No one bigger. He fills up her horizon. He is all she sees. He is all she needs. He is her first thought. He is her entire thought. There is no one like Him. No one compares. Look at verse 49. The last words. Holy is His name. Holy means He is utterly distinct. He is completely separate. There is no one like this God according to all we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears. All this rejoicing. All this blessing, all these great things, Mary knows they are all God's doing. The only thing that Mary has to contribute to this whole matter is fear. Verse 50. God's mercy is for those who fear Him. 
from generation to generation. Not getting what we do deserve, but instead lavished by the love of God, which we don't deserve if we will but fear Him. Do you fear Him? What does it mean to fear God? Well, it means to hold out our hands in awe and and wonder and and trepidation and, and receive from Him all the great things He wants to give to us. Many years ago, as Matthew... Our son and I were leaving an NBA game between Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bears many years ago. Between Michael Jordan and and our hometown Phoenix Suns, uh, a contest which brought out all the celebrities sitting on the front row, courtside. As Matthew and I were walking through the car park afterwards, uh, filled with hundreds of spectators, a limousine was driving past us, except that it didn't drive past us. Surprisingly, it stopped right next to us, and the back window came down, and out popped the head of Muhammad Ali. At the time, one of the most famous people in the world, and and he he extended his hand and pointed to Matthew, our son, and, and beckoned him to come to the window. Well, Matthew, six years old at the time, sort of... You know, inch slowly towards the limousine, and and Ali asks him, "What is your name?" Matthew. <laughs> Timid response, and then Ali took out a piece of paper and wrote, "To Matthew: colon, Muhammad Ali," and held it out to our son. And Matthew, his hand shaking in fear reached out and took not what he deserved, but what he had done nothing to deserve. Mercy. Almighty God comes to us with his salvation, with his love, with his great things, and we, knowing that we deserve much less and that he wants to give us much more, we, we hold out our trembling hands and with a quickened pulse and an awe-inspired heart, with humble fear, we receive what he wants to give us. Fear. Just extending our hands and saying, we accept. Of course, the mercy we receive is of a lesser variety than what Mary received, right? (laughs) Into her womb was given the Savior of the world and even caused her own cousin Elizabeth to cry aloud, you are the mother of my Lord. What a moment. Well, while it is true we could never compose Mary's song, it is also true that we can sing along with her. Because God comes to us too. He comes to us in His Word. He's coming to us this morning through the Holy Scriptures. And He comes to us in His Word made flesh, in Jesus (laughs) 
in the Son of God, who is full of grace and truth and full of love and joy and peace and full of forgiveness of sins and full of the promise of eternity with Him forever, full of these great things. And He comes to us and He offers us these things. It's a mercy. What came to Mary can, in the first child of Christmas, come to us too. If that doesn't make you want to sing, nothing else will. You know, I I was just thinking uh, about the last couple of months, and the biggest takeaway I, I have, you know, which I've been blessed, I don't deserve to have been blessed in this way, but to travel to six different countries in the last two months where people opened the Word of God and they read from the Word of God and they heard, some of them for the first time, the great things God wants to do for His people in Christ Jesus. It was to see the impact that that God's Word made on people's hearts. To watch God do for others what He did for Mary. And to listen as people would then sing along with Mary in full-throated praise. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Same God, same mercy, prompting the same joy in very different people throughout Europe. It's so moving. The image I'll never forget was our worship leader in the Faroe Islands. There's such a place called the Faroe Islands. <laughs> it's between Norway and Iceland. Discovered it for the first time last week. But the guy who was leading our worship, he's a big strapping man with an electric guitar slung around his shoulder and a voice like Johnny Cash. I mean, he really led our worship, and it was awesome. He, he approached the microphone on the last day to lead us in the final song, and before the opening chord, he attempted to sum up the conference in a few words, and he, he couldn't do it. This week, the Lord had... That's all he could get out. He stopped. He got choked up. This big dude. I mean, when God visits us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and does great things for us through His, the child of Mary... Our joy knows no bounds, and words fail us. That's all right. In holy awe, maybe even with trembling, aware of the enormity of what is happening to us from the hand of a gracious God, we simply hold out our hands and let the Lord fill them. For Mary, it was a personal blessing. And for us too. Unto us a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. But it was also for Mary a general blessing. Look at verse 51. He, God, has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. 
and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. Strength with his arm is what God shows in the gift of this baby. And strength is what this world needs. Not not human strength. No, no. The most impressive feats of human strength have failed to repair our damaged world. So many fractured relationships So many warring nations, so many empty hearts, and there seems to be nothing we humans can do about it. We lack the strength. We can shoot rockets into space, but we cannot cure anger and discontent, says the author, Nobel laureate, John Steinbeck. Human strength is not enough. We need superhuman strength, and that's what we receive from this baby in Mary's womb. God funneling the strength of his arm, Mary says, into Jesus. And we will need all of it, all God's might, to overpower what ails this world. Our biggest problem, the sin of human pride. Look at verse 51. With the strength of his arm, he will scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And the word translated proud here is the Greek term hooper iphanus, which, which, which kind of literally means the human desire to show oneself preeminent. That's a lot of words for one word in Greek, but I, I think it brings it's this human desire to show oneself preeminent. Masters of our destiny, captains of our ship, gods of our lives, pride. It's the primal sin. The proud who make a life for themselves apart from God according to their selfish desires. And from pride springs every problem on earth, from mental stress and anxiety to relational dysfunction, from international discord to internal despair. We don't have the strength to vanquish the sin of pride. But God does. He shows His strength through the child in Mary's womb. Through Jesus, He will scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Don't you just wonder how He's going to do it? And do what no one in 4,000 years of recorded human history has been able to do, vanquish the self-exalting impulse higher hardwired into the human DNA, the selfish gene infecting all humanity. How's God going to do it? Well, the key is in the baby. Born in a cattle's trough. And then as a man proceeding... To a criminal's cross. Well, there's no strength in a helpless infant, and there's no strength in an abominable cross. Yeah, that's exactly what the world says. According to its perspective, in its understanding of strength, 
But the world's proud perspective of human strength is exactly what needs to be torn apart, scattered, says Mary. It's a perspective that's not just wrong, it's the opposite of right. Somehow, we need a reversal. A full-scale change in the way we understand our humanity. A, A radical overturning of our proud human thinking. We need transformation. We need a new beginning. We need a new creation. That's what we get with this baby. In the trough, on the cross, is where God chooses to manifest His strong arm. In other words, in the very places where proud humans would never look to fulfill their desire for preeminence. Never in a muddy trough. Never on a splintered cross. Yet that's where God manifests the strength of His arm. And in doing so, get this, it's where He demonstrates that human pride is vacuous. Empty deceit by comparison, destined to the ash heap of history, or more accurately, to the eternal fires of hell. Through this baby, and ultimately when grown, grown, through the crucifixion of Jesus, God orchestrates a great reversal. And for Mary, it's as good as done. Look at verse 52. She uses past tense to talk about what is still to come. It's as good as done for Mary. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and and He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. You see what she's saying? The proud and the mighty are doomed, brought down. The proud and the rich are sent away empty. The humble are exalted and filled. You know, I was studying this psalm, which is so profound. Uh, I, I wonder how a teenager from Nazareth could have possessed such profound insight, composed such revolutionary lyrics, How could she anticipate so eloquently such an impending reversal? Well, the answer, because it had already happened to her. The child in her womb changed everything for Mary. Astonishing reversals, entire makeovers, revolutionary transitions, radical transformations, profound humility. These things don't happen until you meet a mega God whose strength to save the world becomes truly apparent when you see that in its, that, that God's base of operations, the base of his strength is a trough and a cross. Can you believe it? 
What a great God. What a great God doing great things for us in what the world regards as the weakest and most foolish places. Mary saw it. She saw it all. She wrote about it. She gave us a song. Do we see it? Listen to Mary's closing words. Verse 54. The Lord has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. Israel, the name for God's children. Now the name for us. We who are born again in Christ, He's helped us. He's remembered mercy. He hasn't given us what we deserve. He who is mighty has done great things for us, just as He promised long ago, verse 55, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Paul says, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are sons and daughters of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3, 26, 29. The great reversal is in you. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, from darkness to light. I call that a reversal. It's just what we needed personally. And it's just what this world needs generally. On Friday, here at Eden, the students gathered for departure nano. I wish you could have heard them sing. So much joy. So many decibels. On and on it went. And I was trying to keep up with them. And I thought, well, i got to preach on Sunday. I can't lose my voice singing here. For them, it was personal. It was Mary's song. Our soul magnifies the Lord. And our spirit rejoices in God, our Savior. And I thought, I mean... I looked around at some of the people saying there's smiles on their faces and some had tears in their eyes and I'm thinking this is so opposite in here what the world is out there. Whose songs tend to be disappointments. Sad. Portraits of disappointment. I wish the world could have been in here on Friday. To hear the strains of full-throated singing, oh my, about the wonder of the child of Christmas, His salvation, His blessing, the great things, mega things He is prepared to do for us. You know, we need to make Mary's song our song. You know, we also need to take her song into our world. Amen. Father, I want to pray right now for any of you who are here this morning who have never sung Mary's song. Maybe this is the first time they've heard about this great song. Maybe Mary's song is not in their hearts. Father, I pray that what they've heard from your word this morning will have touched them deeply. I pray that, that no one would leave here this morning, Father, 
without a song in their hearts, without confessing their sins, without acknowledging their need for mercy. They deserve so much less than what you are prepared to give them in grace. Draw them, Father, into your salvation, into your blessing, as they with fear hold out their hands and receive from you the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, may nobody in this room be left out. Who would want to miss out on these great things? Draw us all to Yourself, Father. And Father, for those of us whom You've already drawn to Yourself, we just... We just thank You for Your mercy. We're not only small in comparison with You, we're sinful in comparison to Your holiness. And yet You came to us. You looked on us. You blessed us. You so loved us that You gave us Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we need to be singing more often. We, we, need to be, we need to be praising You more consistently. We need to see You and only see You. You need to fill up our horizons. You are all we need. We couldn't ask for more. We're filled up with all of Your fullness. Take us through this season, Father, and right through the rest of the year and as many years as You give us, singing Your praises Day by day, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God who is my Savior. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for Jesus.